Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. The major United Nations climate conference known as COP26 went into overtime in Glasgow, Scotland. But on Saturday, November 13th, agreement was reached on the text of an outcome document. The document was significant for the fact that it explicitly called on countries to phase down the use of coal and that countries should meet again in a year's time to make further progress on actions needed to slow the pace of global warming. There was a lot more to this outcome document and to other agreements reached during the over two weeks of COP26, and on the line with me to explain the key outcomes and describe some of the highlights from this major climate meeting is Pete Ogden, Vice President for Energy, Climate, and the Environment at the United Nations Foundation. We kick off by setting some of the context in which COP26 kicked off in Glasgow over two weeks ago, before turning to a longer conversation about the major outcomes from this important moment in international climate diplomacy. So if you have 25 minutes and want a better understanding of what happened at COP26, have a listen. Here is my conversation with Pete Ogden of the United Nations Foundation. This was the biggest COP since the Paris Agreement was struck in 2015, and, and it actually... In 2015, coming out of Paris, this COP was already very much on everyone's radar. Um, you know, the way that the agreement, the original Paris Agreement was set up is that countries come forth every five years in what they call the kind of a ratchet period in five-year cycles of reevaluating and enhancing their own national climate targets under the agreement, you know, kind of with the understanding in Paris that while a top-line goal had been set of limiting global warming to well below two degrees and kind of with a sub goal of trying to get taking additional steps as, as possible to get all the way to limiting emissions to 1.5 degrees of warming. That initial round of targets that were set just wasn't commensurate with, with those long-term goals. And the, the theory was that every five years you come back, you assess your progress, and then you, you, you essentially ratchet those. You increase your ambition as necessary. People were really focused on that. The other major commitment coming out of the Paris Agreement was a financial commitment from developed countries to developing countries to mobilize um, $100 billion a year in, in so-called climate finance, which is assistance, uh, help developing countries to you know, essentially make the transition to greener economies themselves. And, and also to deal with some of the, the hard impacts that they're feeling from climate change, which they, of course, have done very, very little to contribute to. Um, and that, that kind of basket of financing, you know, often referred to as adaptation. So essentially, how, how do these developing countries just cope with the, with the impacts of climate change? So that was supposed to be five years in the making. And thanks to COVID, we got an extra year. So it was actually uh, uh, this COP where these kind of issues came to the head. What happened? How are these issues dealt with in this COP? Well, it was a big five years, right? I mean, they're six years, actually. You know, you had from Paris to, the, to Glasgow, you had, you know, you had the Trump administration withdrawing from the Paris Agreement. On the other hand, pockets of momentum around the world, you had huge amounts of growing 
um, engagement uh, in the private sector, in the subnational level, where the implications of climate change were sort of really being felt more and more acutely as you have, you have local officials dealing with these with the challenges of fires and droughts, extreme weather, um, really, really thrust this issue kind of before politically. And you also had a huge uh, study by the world's climate science assessment body, the so-called Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, come out with a, a, a seismic report on the implications of 1.5 degrees of warming, what that would actually mean. And while the world had sort of been trained coming out of Paris on the two-degree target, it really, it really kind of thrust to the foreground that 1.5 degrees is a threshold that, uh, beyond which we are going to start to feel just unbelievable impact. So suddenly the urgency and the, and the, the level of ambition that, that, that people started to realize we needed to achieve was actually even greater than five years ago, which is to say uh, that we arrived in Glasgow for two weeks. There are something like 40,000 registered participants and then nothing like this on the global calendar, maybe the Olympics, maybe not. And, and these issues, these two issues really that, we, the, that I alluded to earlier of, of would countries increase their targets sufficient to, to put them more on track to fulfill the goals of the Paris Agreement? Uh, would, would countries do that? Uh, so-called mitigation commitments. And then on finance, you know, would countries delivered on, on their finance commitments under the Paris Agreement? And what would that mean going forward? And so, you know, the first part of the two-week COP, which really kicked off with a political leader statements, was kind of, uh, and then and then a, a whole slew of new initiatives uh, were announced, and these were kind of, you know, in all sorts of different, you know, configurations. You had subsets of countries making big announcements on new methane, which is a highly um, potent greenhouse gas, new partnerships to try to slash methane around the world, new partnerships on phasing out coal use. Uh, for instance, there was a package put together with South Africa, which is one of the most coal-dependent uh, countries in the world. Its power sector is, 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 is of all the major economies, is deeply embedded in coal as any. A, a package with the US, the EU, and some others uh, in the $8 billion range to help to, to transform uh, the, the power sector there away from coal and towards uh, renewable fuels. Um, and, you know, lots of other kind of, of, of non-negotiated in the sense of not being f- fully requiring the full 190 plus parties to the Paris Agreement to all agree, but rather these kind of little pockets of critical actors and coalitions forming. And this um, you see at the UN uh, happening a lot over the last decade or, or so, yeah. these kind of public-private partnerships of like-minded countries or organizations or entities, sometimes with um, the private sector, sometimes with philanthropy, sometimes just among countries kind of getting together on their own, announcing that collectively they're going to do this very discrete, concrete thing that will contribute to the broader solution. So in this case, you're saying like the the methane pledge. There's also, I believe, like a a reforestation or anti-deforestation pledge. So you have all these kind of just very like discrete promises, pledges, new programs that um, this spurred the announcement for. And, and that's, I think, like one very concrete 
uh, outcome from COP26. Uh, what else uh, would you point to as being a sort of concrete accomplishment from this COP, both on the mitigation side of things and also on the finance side of things? Yeah, so that's exactly right. All of these initiatives that you're pointing to, right, they're all they're all creating the conditions for countries to to do the uh, uh, to do what we talked about earlier, which is to try to raise your targets, right? Presumably, with the work on methane, with the work on anti deforestation, all these things then enable more ambition from countries. And you know, over the course of the last couple of years, and in particular last year, you had seen countries start to do this. I mean, the United States um, back in April, President Biden uh, announced a, 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 an aggressive new um, target for the United States to achieve by 2030, the EU, Japan, Canada, uh, you know, uh, many, many other developing countries that all also set, you know, new enhanced targets in anticipation of this moment, right? Anticipation of the COP being kind of the deadline when these would all be, be um, assessed. Uh, Pres- Prime Minister Modi, uh, on the first day of, of the COP at the, at the Climate Leadership Summit, in which over 120 world leaders attended, um, really grabbed headlines with by announcing China, uh, India's own um, new uh, uh, climate targets for 2030, as well as a longer-term uh, net zero target. Both of which, you know, again w- waited until until the COP itself to announce, but um, was really a major moment. You know, as one of the uh, world's largest emitters seen as a really significant contribution. And, you know, so when the dust settled, uh, uh, you had, you know, if you look back to Paris at that time, the world was sort of on a three and a half, north of three and a half degrees, 3.7 degree trajectory. By the time all these new commitments had come down for, uh, for the years 2030, you're back down to like a 2.4 degree trajectory. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's not totally exact, but you can see that there was significant movement in the right direction. On the other hand, you can also see that we are not well below two degrees, much less at 1.5 degrees. Uh, So what else would you cite um, as having been accomplished for the better uh, in terms of mitigation or finance from COP26, are there any like one or two other issues or items you would cite as having progress, as progress having been made on these issues? Yeah, well, I would say, so I think that the, you know, one of the big challenges for the COP uh, was that on literally on the Friday before it began, China uh, submitted its own uh, 2030 target, which was, a, which was a very, very uh slightly enhanced really variation of, of what it had made before. And, and so, you know, that was, that began to sort of, that casts a bit of a shadow over this because you have the world's largest emitter and people are really keen to see, you know, that, them enhance their ambition significantly. Uh, they did not do that. And so as countries were, you know, spending the two weeks trying to figure out how to both capture the progress that had been made, but also get countries to not feel like, you know, now they're off the hook uh, because we're still not on the trajectory we need to get to. You know, how do you do that? And you know, one of the one of the ways that that was ultimately resolved, and with, with was with a big assist from the U.S. and China, uh, which uh, it had a kind of a, a big headline grabbing joint announcement on the Wednesday of the second week. So just as you're really entering the final 
stretch negotiations that um, uh, uh, call that it sort of was a, a you know it, it was a, a big moment for a number of reasons. I mean, one obviously, U.S. and China had you know back in the days of Paris Agreement had had found a way to work really effectively and constructively together on climate change and really help pave the way for the Paris Agreement. That had that had really fallen apart in the ensuing years, and you know, and the U.S.-China relationship broadly had gotten increasingly fraught. And whether or not you know something like that, some some kind of signal of bilateral kind of commitment to this bigger, very much multilateral global you know issue, whether that that could be reasserted, you know, I think was really in doubt. I don't think people were really expecting it, and so. Um, you know, a willingness for those two together to step out and uh, lay out a vision for how they would continue to work together was a big diplomatic kind of breakthrough, uh, I think, in the context of this COP. And one of the things that they that they addressed, in addition to some of the other initiatives that we're talking about earlier, like methane and others working together on, on some, some sort of concrete activities, you know, one of them was a commitment to continue to enhance their own ambition to, to, to get us onto this path to, to ultimately the 1.5 degrees. And so I think you start to see, and you saw that at the end of the negotiations, that was one of the outcomes that while, while, you know, countries did not get all the way to where they needed to go, there also was a set, there was a, you know, part of this agreement was saying that countries aren't off the hook and the U S and China themselves are committed to uh, returning, uh, returning ensuing years to further bolster their ambition to get us on the right path. So, you know, I think they created important political space there. One interesting um, photo from the whole event was John Kerry with his arm, you know, mask to mask over the Chinese negotiator's shoulder. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you, you saw like the manifestation of that commitment to work more closely together between the United States and China after sort of years of dip- uh, diplomatic paralysis. That's right. And, the, and, there, and it wasn't just, you know, in terms of them, their role as the, as the, uh, as the, both, you know, the, the, the largest emitters of greenhouse gases that they were able to help to kind of push the negotiations forward uh, on, on, on the target setting agenda. But they also, you know, had an important um, joint commitment that on, on um, coal phase down. Um, and traditionally in the UN framework process in the Paris Agreement, fossil fuels don't get kind of singled out and called out. Um, you know, of course, they're phased out or, you know, uh, is, you know, implicit in these national targets people are setting. But, you know, the politics around this, uh, around countries explicitly uh, all, you know, again, all countries coming around documents that explicitly call for the phase down of, of uh, or phase out of fossil, of fossil fuels or coal, you know, have been avoided. And yet you look around. Uh, the COP and there's all sorts of new commitments to doing, you know, just this. And, you know, and you have China itself grabbing uh, much deserved headlines at the UN General Assembly when they committed not to fund any more new coal plants through their Belt and Road Initiative globally, of which they've been, you know, uh, they've been by far the leading provider of of support for new coal. Um, so, So there clearly has been in the context of these negotiations, Kind of a, a a willingness to more explicitly grapple with this, and you know one of the last issues that that at the 
that got dealt with the negotiations really in the final hours was around this language that in the final text on the phase down or out of coal. And the, there was a really sharp kind of division in the negotiating teams. Uh, India was very much calling for inclusion of phasing down of coal, which, you know, again, um, it would have, would, it, you know, is a first in these kind of agreement. Uh, others, of course, were promoting a position of phasing out coal. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was a really, it was a really hard fought issue down to the wire, you know, the U S China agreement, um, that had been worked out caused for phasing down coal. Clearly that's where China was. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that was the landing zone for the agreement. So, um, you know, again, maybe, maybe a compromise position from what people might've wanted. On the other hand, it was also, you know, a real significant first, um, Even Greenpeace, um, even Greenpeace in their uh, statement on the outcome document, in their very first sentence said, you know, this this outcome signals that the era of coal is over. Um, what, to your mind, was not accomplished or left on the table or otherwise somehow disappointing to you as someone who has been following these issues for such a long time to not see included in the document or where did negotiators fall short? What was not accomplished? Well, you know, the hard, the hard, one of the hardest issues, and I think it's still, it's, it, there still needs to be worked on is on, on the question of finance. Um, you know, the, this goal that was set out in the Paris Agreement and actually was first articulated back in 2009 of, of developed countries committing to mobilizing $100 billion annually of public and private uh, climate uh, finance for, for developing countries um, was not met. And, you know, I think, you know, to the credit of the U.S. and developed countries, there wasn't an attempt to sort of pre- pre- create some kind of alternative set of facts that would pretend that it had been more. And they, they very much owned up to it. They're short. It was $20 billion roughly, you know, and I, that was not disputed. On the other hand, or we're, we're not, it, that was supposed to be mobilized annually starting in 2020. It's now, you know, or 2021, we're still not there. Um, and I think that came, you know, was a, was a big disappointment. And, you know, the question was, you know, what, what can you do in this in the context of a negotiation to try to fix this you know there have been calls from uh, some corners from developing countries that you know the that they that developing country developed countries should have to you know essentially make up for those shortfalls in forthcoming years right pay off your arrears um that was resisted by developed countries uh ultimately they laid out a roadmap and made you know political commitments to 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 uh, surpass to get to and then surpass the hundred billion dollar target over the next few years, um, but you know that's 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 another promise, and you know they're going to have to you know the pressure is really going to be on developed countries to to, to make good on that. Um, the other piece that I think was a step forward was on uh, um, the the share of that finance that goes uh, towards adaptation. So. You know, some of this, some of this financing, obviously, that goes through a lot, of, the majority of it has been towards um, uh, clean energy financing, right? Essentially, 
helping these countries to to uh, decarbonize their economy and 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 to to find you know uh, green clean energy growth paths. Uh, but part of that funding is also supposed to go to help them just simply to adapt to the you know the catastrophic implications that they're you know of of, of trying to do that growth in a in the context of, of climate change. And so they what what they ended up what the the kind of push had been uh, the hope had been to get developing developed countries to kind of commit to having half of their finance go towards adaptation. Um, which they're, you know, which would be, you know, far, far higher percentage than currently. Uh, they ended up committing to, to doubling that, their, their current uh, uh, share of, of, of adaptation financing from current levels um, over the coming few years. So that's, you know, that's directionally really, I think, an important uh, development. Um, but it's also, you know, another kind of piece of the broader finance commitment that they will have to meet. So I think as, as people are looking forward to next year, already announced that it's going to be hosted by Egypt, um, as people start to, you know, prepare, prepare for, to build up towards that, this issue is going to be really front and center all the way. Did COP26 reveal anything new or different to you about the current state of international climate diplomacy? Well, I think, you know, to me, the, 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 the amount of political attention pub- and, and, and public attention on this COP, you know, even exceeded what I imagined. And, and you know, um, especially, you know, considering all the challenges and questions about the COP and the timing of it and with all the issues around COVID and how do you execute something like this? Um, again, the first, the first kind of major international conference of this sort, um, that's been attempted, uh, uh, you know, I think, you know, the resilience of, of the, of the climate movement was really palpable. I mean, you know, it it was really, uh, people, you know, people went to enormous lengths to try to be there. Reporters went to incredible lengths to cover it. I mean, you had, you know, you had all major news outlets there and covering it on a, you know, with a focus and with an intention to detail that I'd never seen before. Um, so I think, you know, all that was, you know, really encouraging. I think with that extra scrutiny, of course, people start to, you know, become more aware of the challenges in the process. I feel like at the end of the day that, you know, there's a, uh, uh, there was people, you know, p- people who want and thought that this was going to be the end and we would, you know, the issue was going to be all resolved are going to be disappointed. I think that on the flip side, that there was progress on, you know, on all fronts. And I feel like the international process, the Paris Agreement has, you know, has, has you know, stood up well to this really challenging moment. So, so I think that you're going to see people coming together next year with, you know, uh, uh, incredible, you know, interest uh, rather than, than kind of, you know, feeling like, like this isn't, this isn't the, the kind of the place to have these kinds of conversations. To the contrary, I don't know what would have driven this level of climate action 
if if this COP hadn't hadn't taken place. Well, so that leads to my final question: like, Would you consider COP twenty six a success? I think, you know, I think it's a it was it was, you know, it's a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> I think that it was it moved the ball forward in a way that was very important. It also leaves much work to be done. And, you know, I think it, 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 so, you know, I think it, it showed that, that countries are, you know, are, are feel pressure to come to the table as they should, that the Paris agreement still is, 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 is the best possible arrangement for these kind of international actors to, um, you know, to, to, to meet under, to negotiate under, but, you know, the, the, the level of urgency, the level of action is still not what we needed to be to solve the problem. And we can't afford to relax and just think that that left to its own devices, that it's going to, you know, solve itself. We're not on a glide path here at all. And so I think we have to sort of capture the progress, but then go really hard uh, where those obstacles remain. Uh, Well, Pete, thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful. Thanks so much. Always great to talk to you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Pete Ogden for speaking with me again. Of course, we spoke before COP26 kicked off for a preview, and this was a very helpful wrap-up and synopsis of what happened in Glasgow. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.